All right, welcome to the uh, final episode of Swing Thoughts for 2016. Uh, our very first uh, episode where we have a studio audience. Hello, everybody. That's where you make noise. And- <laughs> oh, Hold on a second. Let me turn all the microphones on. Now you get a sense of how many people are here. Hello, everybody. Direction. Give him direction. Um, my name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Let me turn that mic off, that one off. Tim O'Connor from uh, the... Uh, Glen Abbey Golf Academy, the mental performance coach, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Yeah, wow, cool. Got like six people in here. This is wild. This is very cool. You know, but each one of these six people, you know, is like um, like Hercules, like ten men. Each one of them. Oh, so yeah. it's like we have sixty people in this room because they're not you so much, but the others. <laughs> so uh, you're directing that at. Uh... Well, we'll introduce everybody. Uh, anyway, this program, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade uh, Golf. The uh, number one driver in golf is still the uh, the M1. How bizarre was it seeing Tiger Woods a couple weeks ago with the same driver that almost everybody in this room has? Absolutely, it was weird uh, after seeing him like in swoosh for twenty Forever. years. 20 years. It was interesting, too, because uh, it was interesting that that weekend he came back and the, as soon as his contract, whatever that was that allowed him to play whatever equipment he wanted, he put that putter back in his bag. The Scotty Cameron. And you think about it, he's won 13 of 14 majors with that putter. And, and I was mostly curious about that. I wanted to ask you about it. The fact is, in his deal, especially with a club that was so important to him, how could he have not have figure out a way or they couldn't have done a deal. Maybe we should get the, the, the thing. Hey, Stan. It's the ball thing, Stan. Stan's excited dog. to have here. Stan's Thanks, the Ronan. dog. The um, <laughs> would you take care of your children and your dog? So I, I just thought it was odd that he wouldn't have had it built into his deal that I'm going to play Nike, whatever, but I'm going to play this putter. I don't know. I think that uh, at the end of it, he may not have had as much leverage as he used to have when he was Tiger Woods. And he was diminished in the, in the latter part. I don't know. It maybe. Might, maybe they just came to him with more money. Maybe he needed more alimony payments to Ellen. I don't know. Well, whatever it was, he put that putter back in his bag, and uh, he looked pretty good in that tournament. Um, let's introduce some of the people that you're going to be uh, hearing from today. Uh, maybe not right away, but we've got... Uh, the, the thing is, I've, I need you to get a little closer to these microphones, because every, when I open these mics up... Um, Cavernous. It's yeah. What happens? We get a lot, a lot of echoes. So I'll just say your name. Just say hello. We've got, uh, and these are all friends, and I would say supporters. I want to say fans of the show. I think most of the people in the room have heard the podcast. Swing thoughts. Swing thoughts. Yeah, swing thoughters. Yeah. Um, by the way, the show is also brought to you by Clublink, Glen Karen, and Blue Springs. There's never been a better time to join because right now you can get a tea time anytime you want there. You just, <laughs> That's right. You just, there's no waiting. You just go over there. It's a uh, nice walk, and it ain't spoiled. He's the director of uh, golf at uh, Glen Karen, and uh, as I said to him on the last uh, men's night, I said, you know, I, I've been around this game a long time, and there are a lot of people that do what he does, but there aren't very many people that do it better. It's Craig. What's your last name? Capito, is it? I can't I never pronounce it. Is Capito. it Capito? Capito. Craig oh, Capito's here, on. everybody. Look at Craig Capito. You know it's Capito. No, seriously, there are very few people that do what he does better. Uh, one of our hundred uh, percenters of our swing thoughts, uh, Tom Lenowitz. Is it Lenowitz? Leonowitz. Leon. I know. I have no idea. He's a great kid, uh, according to his ex-girlfriend. He's got an M2. I don't know what that means. Um, it's definitely the four hundred and fifty cc, not the smaller head. Uh, Rudra. Rishi Maharaj, that's not a fake name. That's actually his name. He's here representing Gig Sky. 
Sure, why not? Yeah. Brad, is it Charlotte? Cholette. Brad is a, an avid uh, player and a, a fine golfer on his own. Fan of the show? Ronan. Uh, Ronan only took me 17 times to meet him before I remembered that I'd met him before. <laughs> It was, it's always a pleasure meeting you for the first time. Yeah, exactly. times. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Every Hi, time Howard. we meet, he goes, I go, hey, nice to meet you. He goes, yeah, we've done this about three times in the Not last week. when we met 20 years ago. Um, yeah, okay, so, and then please enter the microphone. He is the, uh, the pride of, uh, of golf. Farmers Feed Cities, according to this beauty. It's uh, one of your students and a friend of mine, Mike Bondi, everybody. So there, there you go. There we go. Good morning. So I'm going to try something. I should have figured this out before. So now that you guys are a little closer to the microphones, it's a little less cavernous. But this particular mic is the one I'm going to give to Rudra to start with. I'm not going to turn the other one on because it's going to make too much noise. Hi. Morning, Howard. Morning, Tim. Great to have you here. Good to Um, be here. And and we'll get everyone uh, to weigh in on our sort of discussion today. Uh, To start with, Tim and I will talk a little bit about you know, we started this podcast in 2016. This is, I think, the 36th. Uh, we didn't have a number in mind when we started. We sort of did it every so often, and then it became every couple of weeks, and now this will be the last one we record. Um, just making sure it is recording. Yep. Uh, and what kind of year has it been for you? Is it, This is your first sort of full year as a golf coach, and then some of these guys here have been, uh, I know Ronan's done some work, Brad's done some work with you. Uh, Mike does. It's okay to say that because they're all here. Absolutely. Yeah. And wh- what's it been like for you in your first year sort of coaching guys? Uh, you've been a golfer for a long time, but now you're a golf you know, coach. It was an, it was an amazing year. A uh, lot, uh, lot of learning. Uh, what was really interesting for me was that when I relied on my intuition and like followed the person rather than say come into it thinking I need to fix you or this is what you need to do and just like listened really well. That's when the magic happens. Everyone knows what they need to work on. They know, they know what they need to do. And so it was really fun just kind of um, what I call holding space for people a lot of the time and hearing what's going on for them and then just helping them do their own work. So it, it's, not like, it's not like imposing a fix on people. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of golf instructors uh, of the physical game sort of have a cookie-cutter approach in, in the way that this is their philosophy, this is the way they see the golf swing, and this is the way they teach it. But I've always felt with you, you don't really have uh, a, a sermon so much as you have a certain, some principles that you, know, you believe in that you apply when they're necessary. But you also sort of sit back, as you said, and kind of feel like, what, the, what is that person really looking for? Yeah, well, they all, it always starts with what are they most looking for? I just call it the top of mind stuff. And usually it's around their golf. Often it's sometimes it's stuff that's going on in their life. But you need to deal with that top level stuff first because that's on their mind. That's what they're kind of consumed with. So there's some anxiety there. And once you hear that and start to go deeper, then the other things kind of take care of themselves in, in, in many ways. If, if you did, if somebody came to you and once you sort of explore what their golf issues are, is there some things you sort of have learned to rely on? Are there some uh, principles? Is there one thing for sure you do with almost every guy? Yeah. It's all, to me, the core piece is, a, is awareness. And where, what are you paying attention to? Right. And that really is the key piece. So a lot of people, I get started with like two or three sessions in, I get them meditating. Like five minutes a day, just focusing on their breath, being aware when they're starting to think. Because if you're not 
in control of where your attention is, then you're not going to be aware of what's happening to you emotionally, um, you know, what's happening, where your thinking is, and even what you're, what's happening in your body. And that comes from awareness. And because too much on the golf course or in life, we're just taken away by our thoughts just because we have very active minds. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. So that's a core piece right there is just generally around awareness and where's your attention. So I'm always, that's usually a real foundational piece. You know, when you and I sat down, I, I'm trying to think it was, was it, it was certainly in 15 when we met and we were sitting around Glen Karen having lunch talking about doing this. And we talked about guys we admired, Carl Morris and Fred Shoemaker and uh, Rotella and different, you know, philosophies of golf. But it's interesting watching and seeing how you've progressed because, you know, when I met you, you were a, a writer and, you know, Tim's written a lot of books and worked with. The great thing about having Tim as a resource, Tim's basically met or talked to, interviewed or worked with a lot of people in the golf business over the course of your lifetime, which makes you, you know, fascinating and interesting. But watching you develop as a mental performance coach is interesting for me because, you know, I didn't know what you, would, you were going to show up like. And uh, in, in, in a lot of your other work, it's like, it's interesting. You've brought a background of working in men's groups to a golf perspective, ultimately to make people enjoy golf more. And that's kind of what I wanted to get to. We had an idea when we first started this was, could we make people play better without touching their golf swing? 100%. And uh, we're going to hear from some guys in the room today. I know f- certainly for me. You know, I worked less on my physical golf swing in 2016 and made the biggest one-year leap in my handicap that I ever have. And it has nothing to do with hitting the ball better. I just managed myself better because occasionally I have been given to fits of rage on a golf course. Hard F to believe. all you. <laughs> Hard to believe I have raged out and found myself, uh, the better I got at managing it, the better I got in terms of managing scoring. So we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the things we learned, uh, some of our guests that we, I just asked him uh, a few weeks ago, and just before we started today, I said, let's just talk about some of the things that, if you think about all the people we interviewed, what's the, what are some of the things that stuck out? And then we'll talk to the guys about some of the learnings that, not just from our show, but some of the learning that happened for them on, on a golf course. or you know, I, and, and I know there's, you're going to hear some great stories today because... I know one in particular, uh, our friend Mike Bondi, made huge strides on the golf course today, uh, this year, I should say. And again, like me, barely changed his golf swing. Uh, but let's talk about our show. So we had Sean Foley, Joe Parent, Fred Shoemaker, Carl Morris a couple times, Richard Zokel, Paul Doolin, Paul Doolin, Ken Tarling, Ken Tarling yeah. and others that if we were really, you know, good at this, we would have researched and have those... <laughs> written down we've got shit to do okay uh, yeah exactly have lives but, uh, to live so what's the thing if i say okay uh fred shoemaker what stands out about him wow that i well that i've listened to that show about 10 times in all seriousness i just keep listening to it because that guy to me um i'm as in terms of philosophies <laughs> matching he's it's just about as close as it as, as it gets, as I watch you bring your fan out. That's yeah, because here's the thing about this studio. I love the studio, but the more people we get into yeah, and get yeah. in here, the more I sweat. Um, are you cold? Are you warm? I can blow from this <laughs> You just can't. Get, 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 get in a microphone. Go ahead. What were you going to say, Michael? Hang on. Let me turn that on. I could blow on you from this side. All right. So is, was it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you remember what I do for a living, right? Um, so, 
Fred Shoemaker, you listen to that show. What are some of the things that stuck out about that? Well, um, largely that he's big on awareness. And if you're not present to what's going on, um, then golf ain't going to happen for you. And a lot of things aren't going to happen for you. I just love that piece of what she talks about is just being present to the club all the way through. And if you can, if you can do that, if you can be present to, to, the, to the club, then a lot of really good things are going to happen. And that's Instead a good piece. Of that's a good part of what you teach too. Is 100%. where where what are you thinking of? Where 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 are where are you in your golf space? Most of us can't answer it. Yeah, absolutely. But the core piece that came out of that of that uh, Fred Shoemaker piece was the phrase "commitment is freedom." Right. That was huge. I just came out of that with like wow, and I went right into it with uh, sessions with students, and they loved it. Uh, <laughs> one of our one of the students he used that as a mantra for the rest of. I'm the telling you, it's so funny because uh, because I'm friends with Tim and some of the people that you know work with Tim. A few weeks after that show, and I hadn't thought of it, I was playing with one of your students, and we were talking about you and blah blah. blah and he said, you know, commitment is freedom. I'm like, oh yeah. I know where O'Connor got that, but that's fine. I mean, that's really what all teachers do. They take from the best Absolutely. and they pass it on to their students. Yeah, and what was interesting about that commitment is freedom thing is that I didn't really understand until about three or four weeks later that was almost like a Zen cone, like a riddle. It's like, so how can commitment be freedom? If you make a commitment, you're dedicating yourself to something. So it's, it's almost like there's not as much freedom. But I finally got to understand that if I do make a commitment, I'm free from things like talking myself out of it or the doubt of it. It, it, I can stay on that course of action. So that was one of the the key things I I picked up from this year. What I think about when you talk like that, I think about commitment being freedom that it it frees you from the anxiety. It gives you permission to not think about anything but what you're about to do, maybe the target or whatever it is. But it is, uh, it's funny how it's almost like a dichotomy because yeah. if you're committed to something, well, how is that free? For me, the one that sticks out the most is Dr. Joe Parent, the Zen and the Art of Golf guy. And I must have repeated this hundreds of times to different golfers over the course of the last three or four months, which is when you're standing over a shot and you're uncomfortable, you know, you... You know, you're going to hit a seven iron, but you're standing over there thinking, oh, maybe I should hit six. The wind just came up and the lie feels a little bit different. You know, all the things that golfers assess, and there's, there's, there's so many of them that we just take for granted. We make a bunch of decisions and then we stand over the ball and we think, ah, but I'm a little self-conscious. I don't want to back away. What are my friends going to think? And so we hit it anyway. And if you count up the number of times that you hit it anyway in a round, you know, you can save yourself three or four shots just by going, you know what? I'm not comfortable for this particular second in time. I'm going to stop. But the thing that I really got from him was if you're practicing the, the swing or feel for a seven iron and you do go back and get a six iron, you've got to give your brain time to catch up to now there's something new. And the example he used in that show, which was brilliant, is Colin Montgomery waiting to hit yes. that shot in the U.S. Open. He was going to hit a seven, whatever it was. And I can't remember if it was a seven to a six or a six to a seven. The fact is he changed clubs, but he didn't program in his brain that there was a new a new number in front of him. And he hit it anyway, and, and it didn't work out well. Yeah. And I know around the room, uh, I'm, I'm sure if we went around, we've all done that in every round of golf. Whether it's Craig playing with members on a on a at a tournament or men's night, and you're just you're not really paying attention to your own game, and you're over a shot, you think, ah, screw it, I'll just hit it. Or Mike in a tournament where you're like, you know, I've already taken enough time, you know, I, I now I'm over the ball, and the the lie's a little bit different. I really want to stop, but I don't. 
and then the shot doesn't usually work out. It's amazing how many times in a round where you'll hit that shot and go, oh, God. You know, it wasn't that it was a bad swing. It's just that you hit it when you really weren't committed to it. 100%. Mike Bondi. Perfect. How that comes around is that commitment thing. I used to do that several times around, hit it anyway. So I'm going to tell you, you know how many rounds I've played since working with Tim where I can say I have hit every shot when I'm ready? None. (laughs) I'm still not there. It's still once or twice around yep i wasn't a hundred percent committed so it is it's like getting in shape and getting out of shape yeah it's the same thing and and, you know it's funny i I just mentioned at the beginning of this uh you know babbling thing i've told that to hundreds of guys including when i was in florida a couple weeks ago on the last round of the season I had three holes to go, and I was under par, and I, was, I had a six-foot putt to save my par. And all I could think about was, if I make this and birdie one more hole, one more hole I'm going to shoot this number. And then I thought, okay, no, don't think that. I'm gonna, all this stuff. <laughs> but I didn't really give myself a t- chance to go back to my, my routine, and I hit it anyway. And I missed it. And I thought to myself, here I am after all this learning, and I still can't shake that. And as Mike, so, uh, you know, it's well said. You, 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 you don't do it all the time, but the more times you're, you feel like, okay, I'm ready to hit this shot, the more chances you give yourself for success. Yeah, well, where I'm going to connect that too is, well, with our conversation with Sean Foley. And uh, that was amazing. Uh, with Foley, you always do a lot of listening. And um, he was saying that a lot of what goes on for golfers is, is that they'll have a, like, a new awareness of something they might want to do in their mental game or in their swing. But if you just don't have the reps in... That awareness alone is not going to do it. You've got to be there under pressure. And it's the same with commitment. It's the same with having like a new way to think. Your game went to a higher level this year. And so you had your 69, and then that became your high watermark. And then the few games after that, you had the game where you had the, the, little, sh- the little conniption fit there. When where I threw my driver? Exactly. Yeah, that game? That was awesome. <laughs> but you, weren't, you didn't have your reps in at being a kind of this – new level so no. it was you know that's what happens that was uh i'm i'm you guys know the story if you heard the show i basically threw my driver at my bag yeah because it, it just seemed like the right thing to do um, i love that head i like that head first yeah i did no very, i threw it very I, inefficient way to oh no it was horrible something. like that'll show you i've, I've made some progress because if i was the old howard i would have helicoptered the shit out of that <laughs> I, exactly. I actually threw it holding the head of the driver so it really was a weak ass throw it was like it was like ah it was more like a toss um, it was a toss it did, well yeah I'm, hurt me uh, anyway the, so that's the thing I, I remember the other thing is the conversation with uh, Tim and Zokel and I the intervention the interve- the golf intervention and, and basically making the decision after that conversation that I really should lighten up and lightening up is a huge thing for someone like me and maybe some of you guys too because so often I have to be reminded that I'm doing this because I really like it and I like being around the people I do it with and I like the process of it and that sometimes is just enough Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the show after that was perfect in terms of the sequence because the very next show is with Ken Tarling. And Ken Tarling, he's a great story. He's been a great player for years and years. But he could never quite make that leap from being a good club professional who win tons of tournaments in Ontario and Canada. And a couple times he's at the PJ Tour Q School. He's been like, you know, 69, 70. He's right there. Shoots 80 last round. And so what... That personal story was very cool in terms of making connection to your golf hell story. And the key piece I took out of that is playing golf as if you don't care 
even though you obviously do care. Mm-hmm. And that's the balance. That's the really hard part. And that Ken Tarling show was really good for that, that idea of being able to play, kind of knowing what your, your score is and somehow keeping it behind you. And well, thus playing like you don't care. Well, we'll go around the room now. Um, I'm going to come back to the, the other thing that sort of the, the other overarching idea that, that sort of sunk in with me. And that is that, that whole idea, that Buddhist idea that life is suffering. And the idea about how that relates to golf is, and I know this, I, I know, but whether you admit it or not, everybody in this room, every golfer that ever plays golf approaches every round with the idea that today maybe nothing bad will happen. And that is bullshit. <laughs> That's the and delusion. It's that was the biggest lesson I learned was you better be ready to play because golf starts on the first hole. One of the things that used, it's happened to, we have some friends, me and Mike, one in particular that he can start off well, and this may sound familiar, three or four holes in, as soon as he has a bad hole shot or double bogey, the words, well, that's this day or this day, that'll do it for today. And I always say to him, how do you know that you're not about to start the best stretch of golf in your life? Well, I know you're not because you've just said today's over. But it's, we all go through that where we might hit a bad shot on the first tee and then that, and we think, oh, God, no, great, this old, what, what do people say are, you know, there's a phrase we hear all the time. I can't remember. It was like, oh, well, here we go again. Here exactly. we go again. Because for some reason, we don't think, we, we, imagine our, we imagine golf to be bad thing free. And it never is. Even on your, on your best round, if we went around and said, on your very best round of the year, you still had some bad shots. You still had bad stuff happen. You might have hit one OB, but you just got over it. But a lot of our rounds are frustrating because we think, aw, how can bad things have to happen? <laughs> because they do. Because it's life, man. Exactly. But I, and I really took that to heart. And I, and I really walked to the first tee thinking, okay, if I hit this out of bounds or if I saw, I got to be ready to, to play golf because this is golf now. It's not about the range. And I've done that. I've, but I've double bogeyed the first hole and shot even par. Mm-hmm. I've, on men's night, I've bogeyed the first four holes. And I had, the, I had the idea on the fifth hole. I could just keep on bogeying these holes and was under par for the rest of the round. But I used to not be that way. Until I heard this wonderful show. So we'll start with uh, the director of uh, Wonder at uh, Glen Karen, Craig Capito. So let's start with you, Mr. Capito. You got my name right. That's a good start. It is a good start. Um, I don't know. I mean, Mike's one of my students, and I sent him to Tim um, because Mike would call me after every tournament and, and tell me I was playing so good, and then... You know, his head got in the way, right? Continually. That was a secret. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, I got news for you. It's no secret. To <laughs> Those of us that know you, it's, <laughs> it's, it's no secret. But either of us and no one's, there's no secrets anymore. They so you, know that we're... Uh, you do see, like, I mean, I, I deal with people all the time. I'm in a chair that people want to come in. You even came into me this summer and talked to me a bit about a stretch you were going through. That was yep. a negative stretch, and... You know, and I said, you kind of realize that, you know, everything you're talking about, you still were doing, you're still going against what you're talking about, right? Exactly. Just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you, you take yeah. care of yourself. Exactly. And so. I am a doctor, just in case you're curious. And a spiritual leader of so, golf. Sorry, I, I didn't want to say in front of the guys, they know I'm spiritual leader of golf. It's okay. So, like, in my position, there's only so much you can help people, right? And so, when it came to me, I was like, Mike, you need to, and Tim had just started his process, and... I kind of thought it was a good marriage, and I think you know Mike's gone probably from a four point nine to a two point nine maybe this year is point seven. Sorry, two point seven. 7. Okay. Um, would you do me a favor? Mm-hmm. 
Could you just stay, just stay near there? Because right we're going to be talking to you. And then we're going to talk to, we've got Ronan and Brad and Rudra and my, my apprentice, Tommy. Um, here's the thing. Craig's a great example of a guy that stands on a range. You know, part of his job as a club professional and as director of golf is to teach people the game. And I took a putting lesson from Craig a couple summers ago. The guy knows what he's talking about. The thing that's interesting about Craig and other guys like him is at some point you get a good player like Mike or other good other people that are progressing in the physical part. And really, there's other things to be learned about the game other than how to hit a golf ball. Yeah, and I, I knew I was at, you know, because we, we, we're talking about physical all the time with him and just, you know, repeating the same thing. And after, like, you know, let's say you do five lessons of talking about the same thing over and over again, it's like, okay, obviously this isn't the problem. It's got to be something else. And there was my limitation was, you know, I, I couldn't talk about the mind. And so, and Tim was, this first year doing it, it kind of was good timing and it worked out. And Mike and Tim, I think, have had a good marriage. So were, so. You, uh, were you obviously open to it, but what, did, what were your first thoughts when he says, hey, Mike, I think you need to see somebody? <laughs> oh, by the, and by the way, I've had that call. I mean, several, I've been told that by several people, ex-wives, people I worked for. We think you should see somebody. <laughs> you need mental help. Absolutely. Well, I had thought of uh, uh, the idea of a mental coach uh, for some time, but wasn't sure who. And, of course, you mentioned Tim. And it's very interesting that you're both sitting right there working with Tim. Well, there's a lot of things that Tim and I have, I feel, have accomplished together. But as it relates to you, working with Tim has allowed me to execute the changes we tried to make. But I, I under the gun, I couldn't do them. So then through working with Tim and it didn't happen immediately but then you know I got on a, a very fun run of winning three tournaments in a row and and so again just saying it uh, one more time working with Tim allowed me to do for example stay behind the ball keep that right heel on the ground yeah um, we've got uh, Ronan, who's a, a tournament player that I've met uh, many, many times at term. Actually, you know what, Ronan, just just use that microphone because Nintendo or uh, Mike, just leave that. That's perfect. So, you know, you play tournament golf. We met, I think, uh, we met at the um, was it the Mid Am? At no, at uh, St. Thomas. St. Thomas. Yeah. The, the Mid Am is the one where Mike called me at the end of the first round after seeing me shoot ninety one online. <laughs> And, uh, and I think I got all these texts like boom, 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 text, text, text. And then Bonnie's calling me. He's like, hey, buddy. I, I'm like, how did you all know? And he says, oh, yeah, we were watching it online. Great. Life online. Life online. So uh, we, we met each other at St. Thomas, which is yep. a tough golf course. Mm-hmm. The early bird? The early bird. The early bird, yeah. Great golf course. Great the kind match. of golf course that if it, were, if it were closer to Toronto, everyone would play yeah. it. Oh. Um, under pressure, and you've been a friend of Timmy's, like how do you find some of these things apply to you when you're playing tournament golf well uh, who said there's two types of golf there's golf and then there's tournament golf yeah and uh i couldn't agree more uh i actually generally think i i sometimes play better in tournament situations it's been a struggle i mean i started playing seriously about six years ago and was a very happy 16 handicap then became a very happy 12 handicap and i'm kind of proud to say with the help of the show and just playing with great guys at blue springs and all around that i'm a 4.4 handicap and a lot of it is to do with uh you know obviously the physical playing lots of golf 
Um, there's a great guy, Steve Maltby, who I work with a little bit on short game. But generally, it's been the mental stuff of sort of going, you know, I can do this. I've hit this shot before. Mm -hmm. Now, can I do it when it really counts? And probably my best moment this year was actually at our Club C's. And I'd listened to Parent and Shoemaker the evening before the final round of the Club C's. And I went out and I wasn't trying to play my best round ever, but I just realized, you know what? Everybody in here on the course is stressed out and gripping it and you can sort of hear it around the course the stress building and my goal was i'm going to be the least stressed guy out here today nice and i was in the second uh, second last group and i wasn't playing great on the front like i think i probably ended up with a 42 and then on the back i could tell that the group behind me wasn't going great and i was like well there's a chance and i said i'm going to forget everything around me and i think tim you said something about uh the five or ten seconds before you hit the ball, feeling the club head. And I did that almost on every shot and ended up shooting. Probably my best round of the year was my back nine at the club championship and came off birdied 18 at Blue Springs, which is pretty cool in front of the crowd. With a gallery of drunk people. <laughs> well, and I was thinking, well, there's a skin. Wasn't thinking, because, you know, I'm six yeah, strokes yeah. back. Like, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden... Uh, John, or a good friend John Mooney rolls up and says, hey, Ronan, I think it's yours, buddy. I couldn't, but I was... A-flight champion, people. There you go. Which is, which, is pretty, which, is, which is pretty cool. And I think just that, you know, I don't know if you guys put it, when you go into Golf Canada, it, it, it gives you the badges for your best all-time, like it loads up basically your best scores on each hole at each course. And I think at Blue Springs, if you took my best hole over the last year at each, on each hole, I shot 62. <laughs> like if you took my best all time this year and I'm like, well, I can, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can, I can hit these shots. I can play this golf course. Now it's hard doing that all the time. But, no, but I, I like what you're saying that you sort of got immersed in a process, whatever that process is to, to feel the club head for a few seconds before you actually go and hit the shot is different than worrying about where you are and what your front nine was and what that means in the tournament and you're feeling a position and, and, or, and feeling a position. And I'm just talking about mentally. It's like you, you at least were committed to something other than positions. You're right. And, and worrying about the tournament because what, you know, the reason Bobby Jones says that, if, if you've never played in a golf tournament, golf's a fun little game that you play with your buddies and have some beers. And it's like Roger Maltby said this. I've quoted it a couple times. It's great, son. He was talking about it on the broadcast. He said, uh, golf's an easy game until you care. And whatever level you care about, whether it's playing with your boss or, with a, with, or trying to impress somebody you've never played with before, all those things we've all done. And golf tournaments are just heightened you know, episodes of tension. Absolutely. And for you to come through and, and, and to feel like at the end, like, oh, I didn't even know. I'm just having a good time and I'm committed to this thing. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And that was, I'll be honest, if it wasn't listening to Fred Shoemaker literally. On Swing Thoughts. Mm -hmm. On Swing, swing Thoughts. Thought. No, I. Wait I, a second, Ronan. You're saying that Swing Thoughts yes. has improved your game over the course of 2016. Thank you, Ronan. Hang on, and let's just see what uh, reaction that gets from uh, the uh, the Fred part of the uh, Humble and Fred show. Fred, what do you think of Ronan's uh, accomplishment? Mm. 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 Okay. So, uh, 
Nice. Nicely done. We're going to come back to you. Uh, Brad, uh, Charlotte, Cholette. 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 Yeah. Brad's a, uh, an, an avid player. Yes. Uh, we met, uh, Brad introduced me to a very interesting swing guy named Mike Maves, Mike Maves a pretty yeah. cool dude. Secret in the Dirt. Secret in the Dirt. And uh, you've, li- you've been listening to all, all these shows. And you don't get 100%. To, you yeah. don't get to play as much as you would like, but you're a fine golfer. You hit it well. What what are some of the things that you've listened to or what are some of the experiences that you've had that you've seen sort of a, a bit of an improvement thinking about the mental side versus, you know, where your ball is in position? Well, it was um, it's very stressful playing golf, always thinking about I'm broken, I need to be fixed. Right. Very stressful, right? So, you know, working with Tim over the course of the year, you know, you get these light ball moments and all that. And for me, it was... I was so attached to the outcome of the shot and I wasn't even conscious of it though Mm -hmm. until it actually hit me. It was like an epiphany moment I had Mm -hmm. with Tim. So from after that moment, I said, you know, let's just try to have some fun out here. I'm going to commit to having fun playing golf instead of always committed to being fearful out here. So I actually wrote on my scorecard the one time I said fear on the top side and fun on the bottom. And I would give myself a score of, was I fearful? Like, say, the drive. Was it a fear shot or a fun shot? Mm-hmm. So if it was fun, you know, just have some fun, see the, see the ball and all that. And I ended up, just, you know, adding them all up at the end. And it was like a 74 for my, you know, fun shots compared to the fear shots, which was a zero. My score was 74. Wow. Nice. So, and I've kind of looked at, you know, every shot is an opportunity now. It doesn't matter. Out of bounds, that's different. You know, it's out of bounds. But well, but if, you said, though, that a lot of people can relate to is, and you think of, if anyone was to just drop into this show and go, what are you, why, what are you afraid of? It's a game. Yes. But it, it, the problem with the game is it gives us so much time, as you say, to be attached to the outcome. Yeah. Not only of that day, of that score, but of that moment. If you're the kind of person that, you know, tends to pull a hook it and there's trouble left, then you get up to a shot where there's trouble left. You go, oh, I'm afraid that I might pull hook this. And you're not even aware of it. You're not even aware. Right. Not even, you're not even conscious. Because it's aware. patterns. And that's the awareness. You become right aware there. of it. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Like, once you so become attached a, to it. Yeah. Because everything starts with awareness. If you don't know what's going on, then that's, it's a blind spot. And you mm-hmm. don't, it, so you can't really adjust to it and, and make, you know, any kind of, let's shall we say, correction. Because you're not aware. Right. And one of the things that I wanted to connect the dots with what Ronan was saying, and it, it applies to you too, I think a key thing that happens with golfers, it's identification. And so in Club C's, a lot of guys go in and they <laughs> they uh, they crap the bed because there's so much tied to, oh, that score's going to be posted and I'm going to look <clears> like <throat> an idiot and I'm not going to be viewed as a good player, et cetera, et cetera. And so much of that, I think that's where that electrical surge comes up hit a bad shot and suddenly they're flooded with this piece because oh I'm not such a good player anymore and so it's trying to get people to not identify themselves you are not your golf shots but so much of the game is geared and and so much of the ritual of golf that we all learned as kids it's almost so subliminal you don't even know what's happening but it's but it's years all these things we talk about we didn't we didn't choose them it's the nature of the game it's the it's the time it takes like you know, I played a lot of other sports. You know, I played hockey as a kid. I played squash as an adult. I've done a lot of different things. I never worried about how I looked as much as we worry about how we look in golf. Uh, Rudra, 
uh, is a, a friend of the Humble and Fred show. He's a big uh, supporter of Swing Thoughts, a good player on your own. Would you like a, a six or seven, eight um, handicap? About a ten or so. Ten handicap. Yeah. Hits it great. Um, you play a lot of golf. In, uh, you play, I just know you just got back from holiday someplace. Right. Has this, what, what are some of the key things that maybe you've taken away from this year? Uh, for, I think this, this feels like a golf support group right now. That's what it is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it sounds like I should be saying, it's hi, my name's I'm Rudra, Rudra, and I'm a golfaholic. That's right. Hi, Rudra. <laughs> Today, Rudra. Rudra will be reading from the big book of <laughs> Golfers Anonymous. So, but, yeah, you know, going back to the Fred Shoemaker show, I, um, uh, I had gone out to Buffalo, you know, uh, the August long weekend for a weekend of golf there. And, um, you know, that was just after the Fred Shoemaker show. And I, I recall the one thing I recall from that show is what he said about uh, most amateurs, when they are chipping close to the green, they think nothing about leaving it six feet short. But they think, you know, if they hit it six feet past, they think that's a terrible shot. Right. And, you know, there are very few shots that I've seen that don't make it to the hole. They, they, they go in, right? You know, you've got to at least have a give it a, give it a chance. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that weekend, I... I Am I, you know, speaking of your friend who said, you know, after his first two holes, if he played poorly, the round's over. Here well, we go. Well, the, <laughs> the front nine, I shot 44, but I shot 36 on the back, right? Sweet. And, uh, well you know, and uh, part of that was uh, as a result of, um, you know, the... And I, I sent you a message, Howard. It was the Fred Shoemaker show and making sure you get the ball there. And when you're chipping, don't think about, about uh, you know, getting, hitting it and not hitting it too far. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's funny that you talked about. I remember that one of your friends who was on early in the show and he was like, he said uh, he decided whether he would try on the back nine, depending on his front nine. Yeah. But if he had a bad front nine, he'd have a bunch of beers and sandwiches. Yeah, but if he was playing well, he'd like have water and some fruit. <laughs> but this goes to show you how yeah. crazy we are. Rolling oh, rocks yeah. and hot dogs. Exactly. <laughs> Rolling rocks and hot dogs. That was it. But, you know, I, as you said, I just got back from uh, from vacation. I was in Mexico with a uh, bunch of friends. We went down there. Uh, we've done this a few years. But we played 27 each day. In the, in the morning, 18, we played our own ball and had a good time doing that. But the afternoon, you know, we we did uh, two-man scramble, throw, uh, you know, change it up a little bit just to have a good time and go out there and hit a ball and enjoy ourselves. You know, I, it's funny that, too. I played. Um, what a novel concept. Yeah, no, what yeah, I mean, fun. You know, one of the rounds I played this summer, I played with three clubs, and I was playing with our friend, me and Paul, Paul Gordner, another student, and I were playing with three clubs, and we had another friend in the group who didn't want to do it. And I said to the other person who didn't want to do it, I said, you know, every round of golf doesn't have to be, you know, your quest for the best score. Exactly. Sometimes it can just be fun. Like, I went to Florida, like, a couple weeks ago on a club link trip, and I brought my friend Dan, who's not a golfer. He's played, like twice in the last 10 years so i played my 18 with the, the the club link guys and then i played nine holes with him where i didn't care what i was doing i just was getting them lined up and we had fun some holes i only played half the hole we were looking for dan's balls but you know what none of that had anything for me it was a fun day playing golf but not the way you know it doesn't have to be a tournament right and there's just not enough of that you know oh yeah absolutely you know and uh you just go out there and, and, and it's to some degree is what you were saying about commitment is freedom because you're not really caring about what your shot is at that point in time when you're playing the two-man scramble, you're out there, you're just swinging the club mm-hmm. and yeah. you get a, a get a freedom in there. Having fun, I mean, really, I joked earlier, what a novel concept. It's like you were saying, like not every game has to be like the quest for am I going to self-actualize today, you know? And, like, Ronan and I had a game. I was reminded earlier because we got a lot of snow outside. It was sloppy getting here. But Ronan and I played, I think it was in beginning of May, 
And I think it was like 10 o'clock. I get to the golf course and um, I look on the thermometer in the car. It's like four degrees and the snow is coming sideways. I go, do I really want to do this? It was one of the most fun games of the year. It'd be like, I'll never forget that game. There was like three groups and uh, Mario was out there, right? That's right. Yeah, was Mar- that the day you got the hole in one? Oh, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, you know. Yeah. Oh, great. What a day. No, but here it was. <laughs> Why yeah. doesn't yeah. everybody just get a hole in one? But here exactly. it was. I it was like, you know, you, from a weather standpoint, people, well, that's a horrible day to play golf. It was one of the most fun times blast. I ever had. It was Tommy a- uh, Leonowitz. That's closer, isn't it? Hi, I'm Tom. Tom, how are you? <laughs> Welcome. You're in a safe place, Tom. Uh, I played with Tom a couple times. Tom's a uh, one of those guys that... Uh, very physically talented golfer hits it a, a ton. It hits it really well. Go ahead. You want to say something? No, just stretch. You stretch it. You feeling all right there? You look good, man. Um, Tom goes around, hits it. Uh, you had your best round of your life this year. Yep, last round of the year. Which you shot seventy-seven. Yeah, it's amazing. Nice. So, last one. Yeah. Last one. It was kind of similar to you uh, in the car. It was three degrees, <laughs> uh, but with the wind chill, it was minus two. Wow. Uh, so it was uh, October 22nd at the end of the and, year. And when in the round did you realize, because I played with Tom a couple times, Tom hits it like uh, a very low handicap, like he really can move. A, his, his physical golf swing is pretty impressive for someone that really hasn't played a lot um, relative to the rest of us. But when in that round did you realize that, or did you even realize, because it was so you know cold, that you were on your way to something uh, of a milestone? I, I wasn't really thinking thinking about it because I was listening to you guys actually on the way there it was just down the street from my place so I I, I had a few minutes just listening to you guys quickly and I said this is going to be a cold day so I don't care what happens today it might be the last round of the year don't really care what the outcome is um, so when I was at, at my home there was no wind when I got to the course which was just down the street it was blowing like nobody's business I sent you I think a video mm-hmm. uh, from the parking lot uh, of the wind going so I, I didn't really have any thoughts about what's going on and even throughout the whole round I didn't actually really care. When I, when I, if I may just jump in what you didn't have was any expectations no no mm-hmm. expectations whatsoever my only expectation was to stay warm uh, <laughs> really that that was pretty much it um, but I birdied the first hole uh, made a couple of bogeys right after that um, I think I shot 39 on the front uh, made only one triple, but I made five birdies that day. Wow, wow. Uh, which was pretty. cool. I'm telling you, the kid can play. He's got some. Uh, he's got some game. I, I don't like how far you hit it, but that's okay. I'll just. I'll <laughs> you drove me. That. You drove me once. Yeah, well, because I'm. I got giant old man strength. Yeah, you, um, you have gray hair. I don't see any over no, there. No, he doesn't. He still has all his hair. Uh, <laughs> so toward the end of the round, you know, you're making a lot of birdies. It's a cold day, and and do you have any sense on the last hole? Yeah, yeah. So on, I birdied sixteen for the fifth birdie. Actually, fist pumped. Nobody was around, by the way, but still fist pumped. Absolutely. Uh, and then the the next hole is actually kind of a tricky one, and the wind was blowing so hard that uh, basically the further you tried to drive towards the green, uh, the further you had to carry it, because uh, basically like this creek ran through it. What hole? Are we, what course are we talking? Rebel about? Creek. Oh, Rebel. Okay. Rebel Creek. I don't know. Uh, it's a good spot. Yeah, so 17 is kind of a weird driving hole. So I figured I'm just going to hit it as far left as possible. Don't care where it goes. Try to get up and down. Um, but is towards, it par three? Uh, it was a par four. Okay. Par four. And I'm thinking, if I get there, great. Like, if I break 80, awesome. But this hole's hard. Has so you ever broken 80 before? Yeah. Okay. A couple times, actually, uh, this year. But 77 was the best this year. And I'm thinking, I, I don't care really what happens. It's been a great round so far. I made the most birdies I've ever made mm-hmm. in a mm. round. I really don't care how I finish here. Like, this hole's tough. So is 18. You know, to hell with it, really. 
if I shoot 85 because I quintupled bogey in, that's fine. Because uh, I've already had fun. And it's cold as hell out there. So. Mm-hmm. You're just, we're in survival mode now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like I couldn't feel my hands in the last few holes. So I <laughs> <laughs> so just wanted to get in the clubhouse, really. It, and it really is uh, uh, proof that the man with no expectations will never be disappointed. So on that, and you and you ended what par 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 bogey. I keep don't keep me in suspense. How did it finish? Par bogey. Had a boy. Par bogey. Well Great up and down on seventeen, by the way. Um, so. Sweet. Okay. Well, we're about uh, three quarters of the way through. Thank you very much for everybody sharing. Thanks for sharing with us. <laughs> we set up a not non judgmental environment. Exactly. Everyone feels safe. Um. We'll talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that Craig Capito is also a very fine player, also hits a, 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 hits a great speed on his golf swing. But, you know, you have a lot of rounds, and unfortunately guys get into the golf business because they love to play and they're good players, and yet, you know, you don't get to play as much. And I know from being around golf pros and having friends that are pros my whole life that it's a difficult thing to do to come out of the shop and play well Especially if you're a good player who, you know, it's tough because you 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 got to go out there on Wednesday night. might be your only round. might be the only time you've touched a club. Whenever I see you there, I always sort of feel like, you know, it's got it's a lot of weird little pressure. And how do you handle that? You kind of know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't say I handle it well. Um, That's not true. Uh, well, I, I mean, whether you... Whether I, no you, matter what, I always have fun when I golf. Right. That's never a problem for me. But um, it has been a struggle, I'd say, probably, you know last you know seven years or so i wouldn't think i've gotten better there's definitely no commitment to freedom um but you know when i get away and i'm you know i'm with friends which those rams don't happen much and and we do something fun then i see my golf game mm-hmm. like I, I do see it come back and i had an opportunity there's six of us went away we played three man scramble you know for two days straight well and uh then the last day i made eight putts in a row my my team didn't even putt for wow. eight holes and I was just knocking <laughs> birdie after birdie after birdie wow and that doesn't happen normally right but see all those things I described um, you know are all just they're all just fantasy because golf pros you know we all know Mike and I or anyone playing with you know that hey you're a good player and so we know if you're, you shoot 85 on a men's night so what we know you're a good player but you know none of us could, could play well consistently if you only get to play once in a while no, for sure, and I and I know that. Um, but here, one of the things this is that I always, my students always say to me, like, "Oh, you hit, you hit so many good shots." I'm like, "How many shots do you think I hit are good?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Oh, like seventy percent, eighty percent." I'm like, "If I hit twenty five percent of my shots good, I'd be phenomenal." Right. Like, and the PGA Tour feels the same way. Like, and they feel it. The student feels the same way. It's just everyone's expectations kind of change, right? As whatever level you get to. I just wanted to ask Craig a question. Um, you know, you're a club pro, or I mean, club uh, golf professional. So you're obviously a very good player. I find it interesting. Um, what made you a, a good player? You like you say, you had trouble with Mike with the mental game. So you obviously had a good mental game. Just or did you? Um, I, I think like I had a I have a better mental game. I played a lot of basketball. I would say that that sport was more suited for less thinking, more mm-hmm. reaction. Right. Um, whereas I'm a thinker and I'm constantly thinking that gets probably in my way more than so anything. So were you but, a very good swinger of the club or um, were you a good golfer? I, yeah, like I've always been able to hit it pretty good. Right. Um, my short game has been my strength. Um, probably I've always told myself I'm the best putter. doesn't matter who I play with. Um, that's kind of not been that way in the last few years, but when I grew up, I was, had the best short game. So, 
It's something that's that's a difficult spot for a lot of golf professionals is that their members or the the, the course where they're at these people they're the professionals so there there's an expectation they're going to be a good player. So a lot of professionals it's pretty tough because you guys work a lot of hours you don't get out as much. So I think a lot of golf professionals struggle with being out on the course with members or with guests or whatever, and they they have a hard time because that might be their first game in two or three weeks. And so I think a lot of golf pros have difficulty kind of balancing that. Like, how will I be perceived? Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't play it really well, are they going to think I'm a hack? Do they think like is this guy a fraud? It's Mike a tough Bondi. spot to be in. Well, I've played lots of golf with Craig. Um, every men's night we have the Captain Pro Challenge. Uh, I'm the captain now. I play lots with Craig. I would say, and I'll ask Craig, what do you think the over-under is on how many emails or texts you deal with on the golf course? I'll give it to you. It's at least seven. (laughs) And and how can you play good golf? A great friend of all of ours, Vince Camaster, really improved. But uh, he's he's running his business, Simply Pools. Anyway, well, I get well, something I'm, for that? I, I'll tell you what, I'm seeing him tonight. I'll tell him we, uh, we gave him a plug. We should get something. Well, like two a pool. things about Vince you should know. One, he doesn't hit it as far as he thinks he does. Second, his hair never moves, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And he also puts pools together. Best hair at the club, so, though. Best hair at the club. Best, best hair. hair in golf, really. He's the only guy that doesn't have to wear a, a hat because the sun can't penetrate his skull. Better Sorry. than Nick Price. Remember that? Oh, absolutely. So, He's got Nick Price-level hair. <laughs> so back to the phone calls. Yes, back to the calls. I would say to Vinny, Vinny, you got to run your business because this is what pays for your golf. But just don't have expectations of playing great when you have to be on the phone. And anyway, right. I... I can't remember ever playing with Craig where he didn't have to take at least many texts and so on. But the reason I brought it up, Craig, is because I feel for you and like a lot of other professionals, buddies of mine that walk out of the shop or came off tour and now they're playing at the club level again. And there's all this weird, but it's all just fantasy 100%. because we're all just excited to play with you or friends of mine that are that are golf. Pro- I mean, I play with a guy in, um, in uh, Florida last week. Club professional, really good player. On the last round, he kept a. He, we played three days in a row. On the fourth round, he's playing horribly, and he kept sort of a half apologizing to me. And I said, "Kevin, man, dude, you're a. I can see you're a player. We, we all go through this. You don't have anything to to feel weird about. But I know that there's a a sense that they all do a little bit. All golfers, whether it's professionals or amateurs, it's like, what will people think of me? Right. And the fact is, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> no one does. And, and I, this wasn't really to make it about you. Because I, I was going to say, when I play with people, I, always, I, I sometimes feel like, well, they've heard I'm a, you know, a good player. I better play well. Exactly. But in reality, who cares? So the, what if I don't play well? The best is when I go to my in-laws are in Phoenix. So I'll go play golf with my father-in-law. And I'll nice. tell them. Don't tell anybody I'm a golf professional. Mm-hmm. Let's just go have fun, yeah. right? And it's a it's a, just a different. There's no expectation. As soon as they find out, oh, 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 the questions come out. Exactly. But, uh, so. um, in the last few minutes, we'll just go once again around the room, starting with uh, Tommy. Uh, you had a great round, 77. Uh, anything you might want to pass on? If somebody's you know listening at this point in the podcast, you've been listening to us for 35 shows. Yep. One thing you might want to take away, even if it's something we've already said. Just take your time with it. Uh, sometimes, like you guys are saying, you need to step away, reset, and actually feel the club for the shot you're trying to hit. Uh, so go through that routine again. Take your time. Because what I related to is if I hit the shot poorly that I'm not 
trying to hit because I didn't reset myself. It's going to take me longer to find my ball. Exactly. So just take your time. No one's going to get mad at you. Nobody cares, like you said. Um, the guy that I work with now, Paul Henrik, has a great phrase. He says, when it's your turn, take your turn. And when it's your, that's just, you know, don't, don't be like, you know, don't, don't dawdle around there. But when it's your turn, like you, no one's going to bother you if you take another second and go change it to a six iron. Rudra, gigsky.com, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, uh, gigsky. Go anywhere in the world with your own personal hard drive. Yep, and don't have to worry about that. No, I'm not those, sorry, hard Wi-Fi spot. <laughs> don't have spot. to worry about those uh, nasty data roaming charges. Exactly. What about you, Rudra? Well, I think the uh, you know the last few shows what you, you talked about is about playing the game, right? Yardage, a swing, everything else is just part of the information about playing the game, right? It's it's all the stuff that you got to bring, come uh, all the information that's available to you, whether it's wind, whether it's yardage, whether it's temperature, you know, ground conditions, whatever. Playing the game, right, and not just um, you know the the yardage says it's 135 yards, so I hit this club because that's the yardage and that's the hit it. Mm-hmm. You know, there there could be a lot of thing, a lot of factors into that that uh, play the game. Yeah, well, one of the key things that that uh, you were asking me earlier, what are some of the things this year that have been kind of constant? So I've heard, and that is uh, a key thing for me and a lot of my students is about not trying to make golf swings. But trying to hit golf shots. Mm-hmm. So trying to feel a shot. So you might have your yard, you see the wind, see the shot, and then you hit a shot as right. opposed to trying to technically make a good swing or hit to a yardage or something like that. Making a shot is a very different thing than trying to make a technically perfect move or something like that. Yeah, you know, and absolutely. And you know, there's uh, you know, one of my friends, he was uh we we're playing and he's got his yardage out there and it's you know, whatever the yardage is with the green. But the green was humped, the pin's at the back of the green. So if you hit it to that yardage, it's hitting the back of the green and then kicking it off. Right? Mm-hmm. So, but I told him that, and he still hit it, and it was in the back of the green, and three shots later, he's in the hole. Right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's something about, I don't, I don't know, uh, we don't really, I don't interact with a lot of, uh, you know, sort of scratch golfer, women golfers. But I think there's something about the way men think. It's like, for some reason, it's important to us that we hit our nine iron farther than you hit your nine iron. But I could give a crap. I mean, seriously, I just want to know, what is the yardage? What club do I need to make it go that number? I don't care what you're... When we have, again, Mike and I play with a lot of similar guys, and there's a young guy we play with, and all of us mock him because he's trying to hit nine iron 170. And we're always like, yeah, dude, you can hit nine iron, but you look over and it's hooded. Well, he knows, trust me. The thing is hooded shut. I didn't know. I know what it is now. Yeah. And, and we're all... And the best thing is, how many times we play with him, it's 170, he's hitting nine or eight, and we're all hitting sixes and sevens, and he's 30 yards short, and he always says the same thing. Yeah, it was the right club. I just didn't hit it. Dude, it's never the right club. You're yeah. always short. Maybe on asphalt, he hits it 170. He, he does. <laughs> the thing is, like good, I've, I've just seen this. Good players hit the number, whatever the club it takes. Right. Um, and that's, that's part of the playing of the game. Brad, uh, you know, 74 is a good number. You play, yep. you don't, again, you don't play as much as you, you want I to. I play but, every day. <laughs> I thought you didn't play as much. Play every day. Okay, I was wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. Okay, you play every day. Fire the research and, people. Really, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and 74 is your best score? I'm just kidding. I uh, know. 71 was my best. Okay. So what, what did you take away from? Um, it's not all about the golf swing. I think that's the biggest thing. It's, there's so much more to golf than the swing. And once you get caught in that, once you go down that rabbit hole, 
very hard to come back out of until you become aware of the fact that you're in the rabbit hole of trying to fix yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. So, sure. yeah, and then, you know, working with Tim, and Tim brings a great thing about being, pers- you know, uh, perception and perspective and awareness. You so, know, uh, you actually said something at the beginning. I was going to, you reminded me, you know, there's this book. Um, we've, we've, it's funny, all the time we've known each other, I keep referencing it, but I, I, I never remember the title. And the phrase is, most golfers play golf. Uh, under the umbrella that my golf swing is broken and I must fix it. Right. And and the other thing in that same book was, and it certainly applied to me. I was two swings away from losing my mind. I was two bad. I was two bad shots or swings away from the day being a dark gray cloud. Those were the that that was themes of the early part right. of the season. But well, that, that's what makes you want to quit the game. Well, and because because here's why. Because if you're someone like me, and a lot of golfers are are like us, where we're obsessive and we want to get. We want to make perfect golf swings. And then what's frustrating is you put all this work in on a range and you try and perfect your golf swing and then you go on the golf course and then you can not only get mad at the shot, you get mad at the fact that you, you didn't do what your teacher told you to do. Yeah. Or you could hit the perfect shot and still three-putt it anyways. Exactly. Yeah. It still stinks, right? But, but when, you, when you play in a, a narrative of... I'm not broken. I'm just, pl- I'm just, this is the motion I make and it moves the ball this way or That's that right. way. It sort of takes some of the pressure... And it also adds in a little bit of fun because it sometimes, fun, yeah. because you have a you know a, a difficult shot under a tree and you sort of choke down on something and hit a low cut and it goes up sort of to the front of the green. It's like that was that's more satisfying in some ways than hitting a perfect lob wedge in there. To, you know. Well, I think we can all see the guys out there playing too. The guys that are actually having fun and the guys who are under a lot of stress because, you know, I think we have one up on a lot of these guys because we are working on this part of our game. Because the guys that don't, they're. They're under constant stress. They're under stress, and they don't even know that there's, they don't another, even know it, yeah. there's, there's another game being played. Ronan, what are your final thoughts on sw- this final swing thoughts of 2016? From the management and staff of Swing Thoughts, we would like to wish you and yours a very merry birthday of Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, thank Hallelujah. you. Hallelujah. I couldn't agree more with, I think, most guys I play with don't take enough club. Mm. Right, and my buddy, who's also a member at uh, Glencairn Trent, we are actually instead of trying to outduel each other for taking the, the the least amount of club, we're like, I dare you to take a five <laughs> iron on this 140 yard hole. Yeah, and I, I honestly think there's more trouble in front of a green usually than there is behind it on a lot of courses, mm-hmm. and and I, I totally agree with that. Another thing is having a plan for the golf course. I always think on every decent course, there's two par fours that are going to be long, and I always say I'm going to circle them, and I'm playing them as a par five. If I can get a, if I can get a, if I can get par great, if I can get bogey, I'm fine, and that's good. That's my expectation. And the other one is kind of for my own journey is putting myself in a little bit, like up in the stress, just a little bit. Like for example, we met at the parking lot of uh, Weston, mm-hmm. and I got into the the, by the Park. skin of my teeth into the Willie Park. And I've played in a lot of tournaments, but that is a pretty elite tournament. And I was thinking, man, oh, man, everybody, like, I'm a four. I don't know what the limit is, probably maybe a two or a three. And I was thinking, man, this is going to be a bit of stress today. I'm playing from the tips. And I'm playing That's with a long golf course all from back awesome there. players. But it was funny. My worst or my the, the most stressful was not the two rounds, 36-hole tournament. It was the practice round that I played uh-huh. with a member, and he was like, oh, you're playing in the Willie Park. And it got into my head, oh, man, I got to play 
good to justify just even playing here. And I was playing from the tips in the practice round. And it was so unnerving because there was no mark. Nobody plays from the tips there, mm -hmm. regular play. And I'm like teeing up. And Weston's a beautiful course. Absolutely. And I was so nervous about <laughs> making funny. a divot on. And I, I and it was funny. That was the most stressful part. The two rounds itself. No, I know you played nicely. I, I, you had great scores. And that is a tough golf tournament. And it's funny because I'm, I'm old enough. I could play in the senior division of that. 400 yards closer but i don't i choose not to because i i like the challenge of having to air it out back there and it's it's a it's a good tough long golf course and you did really well that well, was like i think the 15th time we met we had dinner that night i'm like i know you from somewhere <laughs> and he's like yeah i'm tim's friend i said well oh, yeah. roger and you ronan howard had the howard had the best my little my best laugh at a dinner table at a tournament was at weston obviously a very historic course and before we had dinner we toasted the queen <laughs> And I remember Howard kind of going, yes, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I mean, that's great, Ronan. And, and I promise you in 2017, one of my goals is to remember that I've met you before. Uh, and now uh, one of the last words to somebody I saw. You know, it's funny because I've known Mike for four golf seasons. And we didn't play so much the first three because, uh, you know, he wasn't sure if he was going to be friends with me because he's a big shot at the golf course and I was just a new guy. And Don't you forget it. Whatever. I know. He made me call him Mr. Bondi for the first three summers, um, <laughs> strangely enough. And uh, But I, I, I found out you were working with Tim and I got and – I, and I should let everyone know, you know, Tim and I are – you know, really good friends. We never talk about what he talks about with any of you or any of his students. We talk about golf stuff a lot, but I never, I'm not privy to what you're working on. But I was so happy that you were using Tim as a, as a coach because I want Tim's business to grow. Tim O'Connor at O'Connor Golf. Let's see. Um, what is your... Thank you, Hubble of Hubble and Fred Radio.com. Um, so, Mike, just talk a little bit about... You know, you worked with Tim and you saw some great results. I know from having you on the show before, you did, some, you did well in tournaments. But overall, looking back on your season, what a difference it made, not only in your actual scoring, but your, I think your enjoyment of it. Well, to start with, so you're telling Mr. me... Mr. Bondi, I mean. <laughs> looking me in the eye that Tim has never told you how attractive I find you. He's never told you that? Um, okay, there are some things he shares with me, and uh, we're done, Tim. That's one of them. He said, "Oh, by the way, I was working with Bondi. He's got a crush on you." I'm going, "Well, that's awkward." Uh, so I, I think I would like to answer this by saying this: In 2015, I worked a lot with Craig about how my swing sh should look and what I should be doing. In 2016, through working with Tim, as I said at the beginning of the show, I was able to become much better at executing what Craig taught me. Honestly, more importantly, it's, it's really fun breaking par. It's fun winning something. But um, really, if I were to bare my soul to the 7 million viewers of... Swing thoughts. Listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is... Oh, I wore this because I thought I was on TV. Hold on a second. That's shocking. You thought... If you if that's how you dressed when you thought you were going to be on TV... Yeah. I'd hate to... I, I'd hate to... Sure so if you, if you remember this was just uh, on the on radio, you would have wore like a potato sack or something. 
His well, we need to get this on TV because <laughs> this is the coolest shirt I have. It is. Okay, well, good. Yes, I can, I, I can do some laundry for you. So it says for me later. So just for our listeners, it's bright yellow and farmers feed cities. Filled I mean, out with muscles. That's it. That's oh, it. Please, and it matches his shoes, too. Stop. Okay, anyway, so what did it keep going? Because you were doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that's just perfect because the last thing I was going to say was it's really uh, working with him. I'm just much happier. Period. Well, I'm going to say I, we played a, a, quite a bit more golf, uh, Mike and I, this year. <laughs> I wish you could keep your hands off me. Um, you can't, apparently. I would say, because I played with Mike in uh, some good tournaments. I saw Mike under tournament pressure. I saw you score uh, nicely, actually. And what was that round? The first round of the senior club championship, you had a good score. What was it? Like 71 or 2 or something uh, low? Don't remember. Yes, you do. I don't remember. I'm just, you know, so, just so happy to be here with you. <laughs> well, that's not. Oh, don't you? Because I, I know it was something low because you, did, you didn't do as well the next day. But the day we, the, the round we played together, I saw a guy not just in control of your golf game, but, you know, your process. And uh, apparently there's a fire right in front of my studio here. Mm. But I, I, I observed you playing under tournament conditions, playing well under tournament conditions. And, you know, I wasn't having such a great day that day. And, but still, I was, you know, it was fun watching you and whoever else we played with. And I could just see that. You know, Mike, here's the great thing about watching Mike, is that Mike, and I can say this as a fellow tournament player, Mike has uh, resilience, and that's something that you don't get just working on your golf swing. And that's something that I think, for me in 2016, I became a lot more resilient to the vagaries of golf. And watching you play, because I remember that round and a couple other rounds we played in where I thought you were out of it, and you stuck with it. And, and for me, like, I, I like a, to play. I, I, I would like to be on a team with Mike because he, he has that um, feeling of he's going to stay with the shot or the hole. Like, you know, it, what I say is when you see somebody sink a 10-footer for bogey, you kind of go, okay, way to, stay, way to stay with it. Yeah. And we all know what that means because a lot of us drift away. For some reason, if it's we're having a bad hole and... You know, the, the amount of times I sank 10-footers for bogeys this year was way up. Even in Florida. On one of the rounds, I, uh, you know, I hit it out of bounds on a par 5, and I made birdie with my second ball. I didn't score that well that day, but I remembered that. I made a bunch of other birdies, but I remember thinking, you know, because I made four birdies that day. Five, if you count the bogey I made in the par 5. Uh. But that was my favorite bogey, because, or my favorite birdie, because I hit it out of bounds, and I stayed with it. And I think that's what I've observed about the way you play now. Um, thoughts, comments, concerns? Well, thank you. And I am the best putter in Puslinch Township. <laughs> okay, so around we're Guelph, done. Around, I think we're uh, done. Which is around Guelph, Ontario, for yeah. those of you I who think are we're done. not geographically. <laughs> we're, we're done with bonding. So here's one thing that I'm just going to add on, is that one of the things I think that happens for for golfers, once you achieve a certain degree of proficiency and expectation for yourself, that's where people start to really struggle. But when they can get to a place where no matter what happens, I'm okay with me. Mm. If you can come from that place, then you're, you're capable of anything because it's that surge of uh, self-condemnation, almost that electricity, that visceral thing that happens 
that if golf goes sideways, uh, push it out of bounds, or I make a mistake somewhere, suddenly I go from being like, not only uh, did I make a bad shot, but I'm a bad person. When you go to that place, everything, golf life becomes difficult. If you worship the false idol that is golf swing, that's where it comes from. I mean, I I often say this. The worst I ever met was me. Most swing-obsessive person I've ever known is me. And you guys didn't even know me when I was really a... You know, my, my ex-wife used to joke because I had so many gas. You know, here's the thing. I, I don't know if I've told you this. You know when that scene in Tin Cup, Tin Cup. <laughs> where he comes out and he's got all the gadgets and everyone in the audience laughs and I didn't because I'm like, sure, I've got all those. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I, had all the, I had all of those and others. Do you have to go, Rudra, because we're going to... I have a question for you, Howard. Yeah. In those days, how far could you throw a nine iron? Oh, I was, I could have been on the Olympic level. I was, I could have been on the Olympic team of golf club throwing like over, over several fairways. So, you know, I, people used to watch me literally quit in the middle of rounds. Like it it became a thing. Like I, some of my friends used to have the overrun is how are we going to get to 13 today or 14? Cause it was, I I get to 14 at the national cause it was near the clubhouse. Uh, go ahead, sir. Please. I'm sorry. Continue. I think it was like took your third club C to get to the, um, 10th oh, yeah. T. Yeah, first couple, first couple of club championships at the National, I only played nine holes. I literally, I played nine holes and went to my car. Um, but you're just such a happier guy generally. You might have played better in those National days. It, I actually didn't. It's funny. I look back at, you know, mm. in, in, in 1997, I won the club championship at the National. I played in the Ontario Amateur and finished in the top 40. And I played in the Canadian Amateur, but I'm a better golfer now. Because I, I was, it was so fragile. Yes. If I didn't play well, it was not a good day. And I only had two speeds. Played well, played horribly. Whereas now I have another speed, which is, yeah, I can enjoy my day for the most part, no matter how it turns out. Uh, last couple minutes, though. Here's my favorite Tim story of, of 2016. Playing with Tim on a Sunday morning. And he's playing with me in our little Sunday morning group. And we're out there. And uh, he makes four birdies in nine holes. I think you were... Two or three under a camera member. Two. Two. And uh, as he keeps making birdies, I keep kidding him. You're not really going to leave, are you? Because most of us get to two or three under on nine holes. We're canceling our birth of our kids. <laughs> like, seriously, I'm three under. I call my wife and go, hang on. Just, just don't push so hard. Okay, just stop pushing. Exactly. <laughs> Cross your legs. I tried to keep it clean, Brad. Really? Stop having our child. But Tim, I kept, and every birdie he made, I kept saying to myself, this guy's not leaving. And sure enough, he birdies the ninth hole and just takes his clubs, beggar vances it back to the car and leaves the course. In fact, even as he was leaving, I was like, wow, that's, that's something, boy. That's not something most of us could do, but it was... A perfect sort of uh, allegory, maybe, or a metaphor for the commitment you have in your life, and that golf is just part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I had I had made a commitment uh, to do something that day for with a group of people, and that was the agreement. So there's no way I could go back on it. Well, that's it's pretty just, cool. But uh, thank you. Yeah, you're um, welcome. Our commitment is freedom. Yeah, yeah, but go. I mean, let's not get carried away. Yeah, yeah. It, was it was two under. <laughs> it was like, painful. Really? Believe me, it was painful. I got to make sure Ooh, we get that funny. in there. I, I did go to the car with uh, uh, I was resistance. 
It was but it was hard. cool. I, I, I just, and it's funny because I've had so many great moments on a golf course with Timmy and, and doing the show, but I remember just watching him drive away going, wow, four birdies and nine holes and he still leaves? <laughs> That's <laughs> ridiculous. What's that? Maybe he had to meet the parole officer. Maybe. That's fine, Mike. I think we're done with you. <laughs> um, I was going to say, for me, my favorite uh, bit of learning was the was the intervention. I had, we did the show with Zocal, and I was down in the dumps. And I hated golf, and I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting any better. And then we sat in the parking lot. Tim and I had a brief conversation, and the next round of golf, I made seven birdies, the most birdies I've ever made in my life. I made seven bogeys, too. And uh, the reason it sticks out in my mind is it just was a perfect example of how you can make mistakes in golf. Because you're going to make mistakes. I made seven bogeys that day. And it was a tough day. It was uh, Hustlers. I'm playing Tommy O in our match. I had a lot of stuff going on. It was a round that really counted. But I just kept making birdies. And I kept making bogeys. It was a tough day. You know, it was Hustlers. I shot even par. I think the next best score was maybe high 70s. Um, but it taught me a lot about that you are going to have rounds of golf, and every round of golf is going to have some bogeys and some birdies and some doubles and some good good moments and some moments you think, wow, I wish I wouldn't have hit it there. But uh, it, it, and it sort of set me up for the rest of the summer. Because, you know, I've, like I said, I've had sort of the lowest handicap jump in my life. I uh, shot in the 60s for the first time in 18 years. I played my first bogey-free round in my life. And all because I said... You know what? I, I need to get over myself a little bit. Yeah, that was a key thing. I saw you jumped another level in your in your golf uh, and your life um, this year. So cool to watch it because you just went to a place where you just weren't as identified. You weren't as emotionally charged with your game and everything. Maybe just a good actor from all. No, this I'm time. just I'm, I'm laughing because it's still like everything else we've learned this year is that it doesn't always. It's not perfect every day. Yeah. And so I just wanted to... So my, one of my highlights from this year with you actually happened after the show. And it was a key piece for me in this because you've been doing this for what, like 50 years now? No. What, like, radio? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it'll be 40 years in uh, next summer. Yeah. So you know your way around the microphone and all that. And uh, so I did radio in the 90s a little bit, but not like you. So... I've been learning a lot with you, and so I want to thank you for your time and your patience. But there was one show where he started off, and he goes, yeah, welcome to Swing Thoughts, the award-winning. And I went, what award did we win? Because I'm Mr. Literal, right? And Howard literally just like, he instantly deflates, just, oh, my God. (laughs) And after the show, he goes, all right, we have to do some. I sat him down. I said, we We, need to talk. We need to talk, yes, and some teaching. And he goes, it's, it's a, when we do a bit which is comedic <laughs> stuff right. for where we're doing having some fun. We're a story, a comedic type of venture we're on. It's not no but. It's yes and. And when, that was a key learning piece for me. Um, so I wanted to, well, you've, yeah, you've I wanted well. to, I wanted well, to thank you for you're that. very welcome. I mean, I've, you know, it's funny to talk about Mal- Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to you know, learning anything for reals. And I've got you know, twenty or 30,000 hours on this equipment. Yeah. And, and you only had a few, whatever, whatever relationship you've had with the business. It wasn't in this particular you know, arena, and it's different. And, and, uh, and, I, and I think if you listen to, see, what most people don't remember or realize is we did three or four of these shows. Before I said to Tim, okay, now we can let people listen to them. <laughs> we did. We just, yeah. I, 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 we did it for just practice and to see how we, we would work and also to get Tim comfortable and us comfortable. And so there's like the hidden swing thoughts episodes that you will never hear because there was some crying. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, thanks yeah. to Craig and Tom and Rudra and Brad and it's Ronan, right? <laughs> and, uh, 
We've met, right? That's his comedic chops. And uh, Michael Bondi. Yeah. Michael and I, Michael, I've gone so far with Mike. He went from having to call him Mr. Bondi to finally getting to play with him. And now he's asked me to be his assistant captain in the, uh, what is it? What are we doing next year? Ontario Senior Rider Cup. That's right. Wow. So there you go. Now, now I'm I want to say just thanks to you, Howard, for uh, putting up with me this year. And uh, you said a lot of nice things about me and attention to me. And so I just want to say thanks, man. You've been great for me. And um, listen to Humble and Fred Radio. Well, if you want to take not a few, with your children. Let me get some qu- let me get some music up here. Why don't you take a few seconds and just talk about what I mean to you. Uh, Howard Glassman, actor, raconteur, <laughs> cartoon character. All right, Timmy. Uh, listen, Merry Christmas. Merry I know Christmas, you people bye. who uh, worship the birth of the baby Jesus. All the best to you for the rest of us. Uh, you know, uh, Jew lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will have our first uh, show somewhere, I guess, in January. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all the best to your families. Thanks for coming in, you guys. We really appreciate it. All the best for uh, 2017. There you go. inside.